morning, good morning, welcome to Milestone McKinney. My name is Chris, I'm the campus pastor here, and uh, as Katie said, it's a big deal. We know each and every week it's someone's first time, and so if I have not had an opportunity to meet you just yet, I look forward to meeting you after service. Well, we're continuing in our series called Promises, and we're looking at God's faithfulness, the promises that He makes to us. He's a promise-making promise-keeping God. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Ruth. We're going to get there in just a minute. We're going to look at some other key scriptures that are going to kind of guide us along this principle that we're going to be looking at today. And, and as we've been looking through this series, as we've, as we've been looking at this principle of promises, when you look to God's Word, you often don't see the word promises. What you see is the word Covenant. And so covenant is this significant aspect where uh, God makes this covenant keeping. It's far greater than even just a promise. That's just how our brain can kind of uh, wrap, uh, wrap itself around this aspect uh, and principle of covenant. And so this, this promise-making, promise-keeping God, the Word says that He is faithful to a thousand generations. Right, So you think about that. What does that look like? Why and how would he do that? And, and we recognize he does it because he is faithful. He, he desires for relationship with us. And the first couple of weeks we looked at these uh, vertical promises. What does it look like to have a relationship with God? And in this vertical connection, what are the promises God has for us? Something like, okay, all of God's promises are yes and amen. What does that mean? And we discovered what that looked like, why God would do those things. Last week, we got a little more practical. We're going to do the same this week. And, and we're looking at now, how do these promises that God has for us, how does it affect us horizontally in our relationships around us? First and foremost, last week, we talked about how does it impact us in our relationships with our family, the people that we care about the most. And so today, we're going to continue looking at that principle and how his promises impact us in a significant way with those around us. This week, what I want to do is I want, I want to talk to you about a distinctive. It's really a distinctive of, of who we are as a church family. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that impacted Wendy and I in our life almost 20 years ago now. And it, it really, it's something that I get excited about. If you've been to 101 or 201 in those next step classes, when I start talking about it, I can get real dialed in about it and just kind of go on and on about this particular distinctive and principle and value. It, it's a value that, that really steered Wendy and I and how we ended up back in the DFW area when we came back to Texas almost six years ago now. So it, it's something that I'm passionate about. Uh, there, there's a small group actually that I'll lead with some men. We go through a book, it's Pastor Jeff's book called Way to Win. And we, we go through this book, and in going through this book, we unpack some of this principle and what it looks like to build in this particular way. And what are God's promises? What are his promises when it comes to this aspect of our life? You see, when, when we think about it and when, when we look at this principle, what we don't realize is it really is in plain view. You look at God's word, and from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, you see this principle, but we always don't recognize it. You see, because when we come into church, what we often think about and what we often kind of equate it to is we talk a lot about community. Community. And, and not to get into the semantics of it, but we, we think, well, I want community. I'm looking for community, but, but while we're a part of community, I think God has something far greater 
than community for us. You see, when you look in God's word, it's actually God has a more significant way in anchoring us in relationship than just community. Because here's the thing about community. Community can be casual. Community, you move into a community, you move out of a community. You can join a community, and then all of a sudden you have to leave a community. Community can be very casual, but God has something more significant and much deeper. And it's a principle that goes throughout God's word. And so what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about the principle of spiritual family. Now, we all have a community. We live in a community. So, again, don't get too wrapped up into that. I mean, you can go, all right, Pastor Chris, aren't those semantics? And I understand that. But the, but the real significance is, is understanding when you look in God's word and you look in how he builds, that's not language that he uses. It's not community. It's family. That's how God builds. That, that's what he works. When you go to the very beginning in creation, what did God do? He created Family. Not because he needed a family. Not because he, he was looking for... He created family because he desired it. He desired to have that level of relationship with us, with you, and he longs for you to experience that same level of relationship. When, when he was in creation, when he was there and he's creating all these things, if you go back into Genesis, what does it say? It's like, he did this, he did this, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. Then he got to this one point, and he said, it is not good. Do you know what it was? He said, it is not good for man to be alone. You see, it's this context, this understanding of loneliness. It's not good for us to be alone. We know it. We know it. We, we recognize it. It's not good when we're alone. It's not good for us physically. It's not good for us emotionally. It's not good for us psychologically when we're alone. Those of you who are married, you have a spouse, your husband, you know when you're traveling, it's like it would be the end of the world, especially if you have young kids. Like if, if wives, you come home, you're going, I'm going on a girl's trip. Husband, what are they doing? They like start tripping out. They're like, what? Well, who's going to take care of the baby? He's going, you got it. You're going to be okay. Baby's going to be okay. Kids are going to be like, I don't know. What am I going to eat? What am I going to do? Where am I going to do it? Why? Because there's something inside. It's like, I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm in this by myself. It's this loneliness that we feel. It's not good. So what did God do? He created relationship. He created family. When you look in God's word, in fact, when you walked in today, the hope is that's what you felt, family. Now, you may have thought it was friendly, but it's not just friendly. It's Family. Family is what is what we are looking for. Family is what you're creating. Family is what God's intention was. In fact, when you look at Psalm 68, 6, it says that God sets the lonely in families. He sets the lonely in families. If you've been going through the, the guide, and I encourage you, I know we're, we're a few weeks into this Promises series, but you can pick up a guide in the comments on your way out. It's a great resource, great tool. You can go through it as a devotional if you'd like. But if you're reading along in this week, we look at this scripture, Psalm 68, 6, and we talk about even how this, the, the Surgeon General is saying we have this relational epidemic that's going on within society. While we may have spirit experienced this global pandemic from a health standpoint over the last few years, there's this relational epidemic that we're experiencing. So when you hear me say lonely, you may go, well, what do you mean lonely, Pastor Chris? Well, I'm not talking about lonely in the aspect of proximity to people. Loneliness is, does anybody see me? Does anybody care? 
does anybody notice if I'm there or not there? That's really what we are looking for. That's really what we begin to experience. And so we recognize what God does is he sets us in families. But when you think about church, you don't think set. You think join. I'm going to join the church. Well, you don't, you don't join the church. That's, it's, the way God works is he sets you. You join Costco. You join Sam's. You join the gym. You know, we're all looking, okay, because that's how we operate. We're in a season of life, you're like, where do I need to join? I need to join something spiritual that's going to help give me what I need or my family needs in this season. But what God does is far bigger than that. He sets you. You think about joining, joining like Costco. Thank God for Costco. Thank God. They got the, hey, you know what I love? It's like you know, there was a little season there. I got a little sideways. You know, they're like, hey, man, where, where's all the, like, samples? What, what you doing? They're like, oh, we can't. Mass, you know, I'm like, man, I don't care. Just give me a sample. Like, you know what it's like. Saturdays. You know what I mean? Kids, it's around lunchtime. Like, Dad, I'm hungry. Get in the car. We're going to Costco. We need to buy something. No, we'll feed you lunch. Let's go. We just make the rounds. You just make the rounds. Just eat that. I don't like that. That's all right. It's free. Eat it. Come on. Let's go. Everyone gets full at Costco. It's great. You know? It's awesome. Now, I will say, though, if you go on a Saturday, you best have your game face on. It is a full contact sport. I mean, and it starts in the parking lot. I mean, people honking at each other, driving on, getting out of cars, like about to get in a fight. I'm like, we're in Costco, people. I'm like, you can have my spot. This old man, precious brother, he got this guy, cut him off. He's in this big old jacked up forerunner. This old man pulls in, he like a little Corolla. He gets out, and he's going to tell that brother something about himself. Okay, then that guy, I'm driving, I see that guy, he gets out of the car, it's like 30 degrees, and he's one of these guys. He gets out, and like his shorts, like, he wasn't wearing short shorts, his legs were just so big, the, the shorts wouldn't go down any further. I mean, he, he, he had sleeveless shirt, you know what I mean, big old arm, when you dab, I mean, you're just big, it's 30 degrees, and you wear a cut-off shirt and shorts, I'm like, get in your car, Grandpa, just don't eat, just, it's alright, you have my spot, I'll go hunt you down one. I mean, it's crazy, you know. You, you, but God doesn't, it's not about join. See, here's what God does. When he sets you, you actually, what happens is you're joined. God joins you. God does the setting. God does the connecting. Why? Because he is wanting you to experience something far greater than you ever have before. Because what happens is this, in our Christian experience, we feel lonely and we're looking. What do I need to join? I need something spiritual to join so that I can satisfy this longing that I have. You just don't recognize what the longing is. You see, spiritual family, as I said, it's in plain view throughout God's word. You go all the way back to the Old Testament, Jonathan, David. You have Jonathan and David. Jonathan actually said, I'm in covenant relationship with you, David. Where you go, I'm going with you. I'm going to fight with you. He was actually the king's son. He was heir to the throne, yet he's in relationship. There's a depth of relationship with him and David. You have Elijah and Elisha. This relational investment where Elisha is in a moment, actually, he's in a moment of despair and discouragement. And God says, look, you need to get up. Let me feed you. I'm summarizing here. He said, I'm going to feed you, and then you need to go up and get connected. That's a pretty good recipe if you're discouraged and despair. Eat something good, go hang out with some good people. Okay? There's a level of commitment and covenant, but that came because of Elijah and Elisha's relationship. But it's not just held to the Old Testament. You look in the New Testament. I love that Jesus used that language. Jesus used this 
familial language, this family covenant language. It, it was a part of who he is. It was a part of what he did. It was a part of how he operated. And, and in fact, when you look at Jesus in John 14, he's giving the, his farewell discourse. And what he says is like, hey, you're no longer orphans. I'm bringing you in as part of the family. What is that? That's covenant language. He goes on and he read John 15. He says, I now call you friends. What is that? It's covenant, familial, relational language that even Jesus used. So when you look back at Jesus, in fact, I want you to open and look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. We're, we're going to look at this because when you look in the New Testament, there's all through the New Testament, you have this language that is relational. It's covenantal. It's got a, a familial aspect to it. You hear things like brother and sister. Maybe you grew up in a heritage where that was the language it was used. Brother Chris, sister Wendy, you know, whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Like maybe you came in and you, you've heard something like that before. Like brother, sister, like all these folk related? Like I don't know. It's weird. Why are they, they calling him brother? Him say, is he a brother? Is he not? A, I don't know. Where does that language come from though? It comes from the New Testament. That's where they're getting it from, you know. But that's what happened. So Jesus, we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is giving this long, you ever read, like you can read in Numbers, Leviticus, like all these long, these long lists of people related to who, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. Matthew starts out, in the gospel, he does a little bit of the same thing. He doesn't give the full overview, but he gives you this small snapshot. But there's these few names in there that you may recognize, but there's a few that you may not. And I want to highlight that in Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 5. Here's what it says. It says, Matthew's writing, he says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Now, we're going to go to Ruth, and we're going to read about Ruth and the significance of Ruth. And then it says, in Obed, the father of Jesse. So when you look at this line, if, if some of you may know this, you may not, but Jesse then in turn becomes the father of David, King David, which from that line is where Jesus comes. So when you look in the New Testament, here it is, starting off in the gospel, there is this familial line. What happens is we're going to look back at Ruth and we're going to see how it started in the Old Testament. goes all the way through this covenantal promise. Because this aspect of family isn't just for the Old Testament. It isn't just for the New Testament. It's how God designed it as a whole from beginning to end. But why are we so lonely? You, you think about that aspect, that, that principle, that thought, lonely. Lonely, the, the aspect of loneliness. And, and before we get to Ruth, what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about this, this aspect and this understanding of relational loneliness. You see, because most people, their Christian experience is this. I'm going to gather Christian information, and then I'm going to get together with a group of people, hear a few songs, and listen to a message. Or, depending on your background, a talk. Some of y'all, you're very gracious at the end. Chris, good talk today. I'm like, thank you, you know. It's like, all right, good talk. Some of you, you know, you've been, a, Brother Chris, that was a powerful word from the Lord, powerful message. You're like, I can kind of see, you know, kind of the background you're from. Good talk, powerful word. All right, just put them together, you know. It's like, awesome. I know what you mean. And so we think, all right, if I gain information, 
all right, podcast and blog and this and that, if I get all this, and then I go to church, I hear a few songs, I hear a message, then I've got what I need when it comes to my Christian walk, my faith, my life in Christ. But God has so much more than that for you. And I want you to experience it. I want you to experience what that looks like, what it means, and how it impacts your life in every aspect. You see, because we experience this at such a significant level, we don't even realize. Did you know 33% of people are lonely every single day? 33%. That, that, think about that. 50, in fact, actually more than 50, the, uh, the, the studies would show, more than 50% feel lonely at least once a week. But get this, loneliness is also, it's contagious. Within that same study, they discovered that 35 to 40% of people that experience loneliness are because they're hanging around other people that are lonely. Now, remember what I said earlier. Loneliness is not proximity to people. Because you go, well, you're around other people that are lonely, and yet you're lonely? That's because we think loneliness is proximity to people. I'm going to help us connect the dots and understand what we're feeling at a much deeper level that we don't even realize. And this generation feels it far more than even you do. I'm just telling you. And so what happens is this. It's not proximity. It's I'm alone. Does anyone see me? Does anyone care? Because you hear these things and you recognize, man, this is so challenging. You're listening to me and going, well, Pastor Chris, I don't, I don't feel lonely. But I'm not talking about casual relationships you're around. People that you work with. People that you see passing by and you say, hi, how you doing? I'm talking about a depth of relationship. People that know you. People that when you're around them, you recognize and feel and you experience. They want more for me than from me. That's a deeper level of relationship. That's a deeper level of commitment. That's a deeper level than casually knowing somebody and having acquaintances. I think we have more acquaintances than we realize in actual depth of relationship, which is what we're longing for. It's why we're more lonely than we think. It's why this is so important for us. It's so important for me. It's why Wendy and I are so passionate about it. It's as I said earlier, it's why we're committed to it. And when we moved back to Texas, there was only one place we knew God had called us to be. Because we knew the value of how we were going to build was on spiritual family. And we knew that there's a lot of great churches in the state of Texas and in the, in the DFW region. But we knew a church that built the same way we had experienced in Lafayette, Louisiana. And so there was only one place for us to be, which made it very simple. Now, when you're moving across state lines with three kids, five and younger, it doesn't make it easy, especially when grandma and grandpa are in Austin. That would have been the easy decision. I want help with the kiddos. Okay? But I knew, and Wendy knew, and we knew the value of how we wanted to build. And it was something far deeper. You see, it's challenging because what happens is we're all around people, but, but we don't feel the depth of conne- connection. Why? Because life has changed. You remember the days when you used to just like show up at people's house? You, you remember those days? And, and I love in the, in the Dallas region, we're real close to East Texas. So that's a real, if you're from East Texas, that's like a big deal. Like East Texas, folk just show up. And I do like East Texas folk because when they show up, they tend to bring a pie. I like pie. I like pie better than cake unless it's Chantilly cake. But on the norm, I like pie, any kind of pie, especially apple pie. I'm just telling you, if you want to bless your pathos pie, I'll receive it. Okay, it's all good. But, but, but like... You just show, nowadays we don't do that. 
You just show up at folks' house. People knock on your door. You're like, well, I'll get the app. Who's on? Yeah, the ring. Who's on the ring? You know. Nowadays, ring. The ring is for two things. Your ring, your doorbell is for one. Who's at the door? Two. It's for catching all the men and women that walk out on the ice and slip and said, I'm never going to end up on one of those videos. And you did this past week. I saw it. It was all over social media. We, we've changed the, the narrative and the dynamic, and why? Because we live in a context, in a society, and currently the way we're living makes it very challenging for to, us to experience the depth of a relationship that we're actually wanting. In fact, to the point where when you look at sociologists and psychologists, they've actually created dialogue, terms, phrases around these, around these, these aspects of how we live our life. First of them being this. Crowded loneliness. You're around a lot of people. You have a lot of acquaintances, but you don't trust anyone. You have no depth of relationship and trust. You live guarded with people. You're not sure. Here's another one. It's virtual connection. we've, We've traded human connection for a substitute for relational stimulation. We can pick and choose our interactions. We, we build it around personal preference and who's going to tell us what we want to hear and what we like and what we feel feeds the narrative in our own mind that we feel the world should be like. Here's another one. Increased mobility. Now this is challenging because increased mobility is on the rise. Transition happens all of the time. And look, sometimes transition happens because it was your choice. Sometimes transition happens because it was outside uh, of your decision and it impacts your life. But can I tell you, when you're in transition, you are never more susceptible to being discouraged, to being depressed, and to being isolated. So what's the solution? The solution is getting connected. The solution is this spiritual family that God wants you to experience. See, because what begins to happen is this. You begin to walk through these seasons in this situation. And in these transitions, you do everything you can to pursue something that's ahead of you. Not realizing that in the pursuit of that, you may be forgetting something that you actually want to bring along with you. Now, why is this significant? Because all three of those things, crowded loneliness, virtual connection, increased mobility. Do you know what it fosters? Isolation. We're isolated. And can I tell you, the devil loves nothing more than an isolated person. Because that's when he tries to pick you off. That's when he tempts you. That's when he discourages you. That's when he overwhelms you. Proverbs 18.1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. You see, it's the isolation of our world and the way in which we do life that can cause us to live this way. You know, you, you may be going, well, Pastor Chris, are you telling us we need to go back to the dark ages, get rid of technology, don't leverage those things, thank goodness for Zoom and for ring doorbells and all these things. No, I'm not. we're not going back. If anything, the last couple of years showed us it's only going to increase. So the question is, are you going to learn how to navigate it? And that's what I want for you. Is that you learn how to navigate it in a proper way and still experience the depth of relationship that you genuinely long for while still leveraging the technology and the increased use of it. It can happen. You can have both. But if we don't realize that God is saying, I want you to experience something far greater than you're currently, currently experiencing now, then we miss it. We miss it. 
And that's what Ruth shows us. I want to show you in the book of Ruth the significance of this woman. And I'm going to give you a little overview of her story, but we're going to look in the context of what's happening in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to share this with you, and then I'm going to make it very practical. I'm going to give you some questions to ask yourself to know, how do I overcome loneliness? Because we all experience it at some level, but we have to know how to navigate it. So Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, when we look here, and you can look on the screens, it'll be there for you. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now notice what's happening. There's a famine. We don't relate to that very well. You may have been real hungry. You may have even been hangry. You know what hangry is. You're hungry. You're so hungry. You're angry. Okay. You're hangry. All right. You may have been there before. We don't know famine. Okay. You don't, you don't know. That's what's going on. So what did they do? They left where they were. Now, unique thing, Bethlehem was actually called the house of bread. Right. So they're leaving the house of bread because there's a famine, and they're looking for something. They're looking to be satisfied. So they leave, and they go to a land called Moab. Now, Moab was not a great place. It was not a place that necessarily honored the way in which these individuals believed, how they, how they lived their life, how they worshipped God. Well, when they get there, what begins to happen is this. The two sons, they find two young ladies. They get married. Well, that man who moved with his family and the two sons die. So now the wife of the man that moved them there, Naomi, is there with two daughter-in-laws. She has no husband, no sons. And so she's in a situation going, what do I do? Well, she wants what's best for those daughter-in-laws. So she tells them, go back to the land that you know. Go back to where you've been. They love Naomi. They don't want to leave, but one of them eventually does the other. Her name is Ruth, says, no, 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 I'm staying with you. And she urged Ruth, uh, uh, Naomi urges Ruth, no, go back, go back. It would have been much easier for Ruth to go back to what she knew. But the Bible says that she clung to Naomi. That word cling, clung, what is it? It's like, it's covenantal. It's familiar. In fact, as we look, we continue to read this story. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. I'm going to share with you some words. And in fact, some of the words on the screen that I share may be familiar to you because perhaps you heard them at a wedding ceremony. Why? Because these words are covenantal. There is a depth of relationship here. So watch what happens. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. There is a level of covenant and commitment right there. Ruth is modeling this. Why is this significant and important? Watch what continues to happen. I mean, look at the level of commitment Ruth makes here. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So here she is. Ruth is probably one of the least likely candidates for God to use. She's a Moabite woman. She's young. She's a widow. And yet God chooses her. You see, she had a revelation. No, no, no. There's a covenant relationship here. I'm going with you. I recognize God set me with you. Set. Remember, God does what? He sets the lonely and family. God set me with you, so I'm going where you're going. 
When as we read, when we looked at Matthew chapter 1, what happens? It's from Ruth. Ruth, fast forward, she goes, she meets a man named Obed. Obed, They get married, they have a child. Jesse, David, and from there, the line of Jesus. Significant. There's covenant, familial language right here. And Ruth is just so, again, you see Ruth and it's modeled. This is the beginning and this story captures what's going to happen in the New Testament and what's going to happen and come through Jesus. Then you may be saying, okay, Pastor Chris, this is great. So, I mean, what, what's the point here? Like, help me. Like, it's just like, I get the story, Ruth, tragic, awesome. It's just like the setup for a Hallmark movie. What are we doing? No, I want you to understand, I get passionate about this because I've seen how Wendy and I, our life has been marked for almost 20 years because of this principle of spiritual family. Because of of how we have been able to experience God work and move because of this value and principle. Not because of Milestone Church or the church that we were at previously in Louisiana. This is not a church concept, a a, a church idea. We don't hold the market on it. It's not a a, a strategy for, for growth. Can I tell you what it is? It's a strategy for building God's kingdom. And it starts in Genesis and goes all the way to Revelation. It's his principle. And it's in plain view all throughout the word of God. We just don't see it. Or we've seen it, but we didn't know what it actually was. And we fail to see the impact that it has on our life. And so I know how it's impacted Wendy and I and our marriage and our relationships and the way we've invested and valued people and built relationally with people. And I want it for you. You want to know why? Because as a pastor... We navigate with people, and we see people all the time navigating the pain, the hurt, the fracture, the walls they build up. Well-meaning people who genuinely love Jesus because of a wound in relational health. And not experiencing a lot of acquaintances, but no depth of relationship. You see, God has an answer. And God's answer to loneliness is spiritual family. That's God's answer to loneliness. We're going to feel, remember, lonely is not about proximity to people. Do people see me? Do they care about me? Do they know me? Do they know? God's answer is spiritual family. Well, if we're going to overcome loneliness, if we're going to navigate that, I think there's three questions that, that will help us do that. I think three simple questions over the next few minutes. I'm going to give you these three things practically to help you. If you'll ask yourself these questions, you'll be able to navigate this experience of loneliness that perhaps, even as I described it earlier, crowded loneliness, virtual relationships, Upward mobility. That even in all of those things, perhaps I've helped you understand, wait a minute, maybe that's what I've been feeling. Why do I have this tension in here? There's a level of loneliness you're experiencing, but God wants you to experience a solution to that. God wants you to experience spiritual family. So if we ask ourselves these questions, it's going to help us navigate that. Here's the first question. How does God set us in spiritual family? Like spiritual family, like what is that? How does it work? Why is it important? Well, you have to look at how it works within Scripture and how it works from the very beginning. So here's how it works. We discern God sets. 
We discern, God said, God is the one that places us together. We discern. What does that mean? There's a conviction. There's an understanding. There was a conviction that Ruth had. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. So because of that, God set her and placed her with Naomi. And along the way, and we'll look at this in just a little bit, along the way, it opened up for all the other things that God was going to use to bless Ruth in her life. And then in turn, because we have this, remember, we've been looking at this Abraham umbrella covenant that we're all a part of. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Now, what happens is not only was she blessed, everyone in her line is blessed. Thus, even to the point of Jesus coming, he's born. Now, we're blessed. So do you see how it all ties together? It all comes together. You see... The New Testament says you are joined together. God joins you. You discern it and you recognize there's divine placement. There's a divine joining. Divine relationships. It's our job to discern. It's God's job to set. But here's the challenge in our culture. Remember, where were they? There was a famine. They're looking for food. We're more dialed into the food we're going to eat than the family we are being joined to. If we had the same level of intensity about pursuing the job opportunity, the promotion, the things that we can acquire, if we put the same level of intensity to those things as to God, I want to discern where you're joining me, we would prioritize it differently. I shared with you last week. What we think is trivial, our children will treat as obsolete. When it's an option, it's trivial, take it or leave it. Our kids go, obsolete, irrelevant, don't need it. And then we wonder, how did our children end up? I did. did There's more than just the attendance and the roll call you're checking off. Did you cut? Because remember, as I said, God has so much more for you than gathering Christian information and attending a service, hear a couple of songs and a message. There's a depth of relationship that you can experience and in turn model and your kids can experience. Why? Because what begins to happen is it plays out in our lives. And it impacts the way we live our life. Again, spiritual maturity. You begin to see the spiritual maturity of people and how they work. Why? Because here's how God works. God works by who, not what. Whenever something's happening, you know what the first thing we tend to do? God, what are you doing? I know for me, there's moments where I'm like, God, you know, like, what's up, God? Like, we're going to, like, we're going to do this? You're going to like, a little breakthrough, sing a song? I don't know. Can we, like, what, what's going on? And God's always more dialed into who. And the who is him and who he's joining you to. That's how God works. That's how he operates. So we discern. It's our job. Discern. God, what are you doing? And it's God's job. He places. He sets you there. But what happens is we have to navigate that. There's challenges, roadblocks that come along the way. So what hinders spiritual family? Well, if we're going to understand what hinders spiritual family, we first have to understand to see this progression. This progression will help us understand what hinders spiritual family. You see, it's, it's relationships, not information. It's relationships, not information. You look at the New Testament. And walking with people, I see it all the time. We firmly believe that if I had more information, I'd grow to where God had called me to be. So then I'll just gain more information so I can grow into that. But that's not accurate. When you look in the New Testament, do you all know what the New Testament centered around? It's centered around how do you steward these two words, one another. 
one another. Bear with one another each other's burdens. Walk with one another. You look at the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, self-control. Some of you, you have teenagers. You're like, hey, I know you got a lot of hormones going on, a lot of stuff, but I need a little bit of kindness, a little bit of gentleness, a whole lot of self-control here. Okay, I get it. All of that. But can I tell you, it's not just teenagers. I know 45, 55, 65-year-old men. Hey, look, you got all the information in the world. You know the book inside and out. You wrote a lot of blogs and did a lot of podcasts, but can I tell you something? You, ain't, you don't have any bit of kindness, gentleness, or self-control. Like, how are you doing? I got the joy of the Lord. Well, notify your face then. Because you know a lot, but you just don't look very happy. You ain't got joy on you at all. Like, what? What? Because spiritual maturity is not dictated by the amount of information you have. Spiritual maturity is dictated by the relational health that you have. And the relational health is only a byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit and understanding what it looks like that it is a matter of relationship, not information. Not information. Because then here's what happens. We begin to recognize growth happens only after you commit. Only after you commit, you hear me say it all the time, the level of connection you're looking for is on the other end of your commitment. It's like in a marriage. I'll be officiating a wedding coming up. The level of connection those two young people are looking for is on the other end of that commitment, okay? But what happens is this, is we're looking at, well, you know, I'll commit when. And here's why that happens, because we've been hurt. I'm, it's, I, I hate it because it breaks my heart. For Wendy and I, can I tell you the two great, all of it boils down when we help people and help people navigate life and hurts in life. Can I tell you the two things that typically it comes back to? Hurt in family, biological family, and hurt in church. The two places you should feel the most safe, secure, encouraged, and empowered. But it's the two places that you've experienced the most amount of pain and hurt. And so what happens is you're going, I'm not going to commit. Because you end up doing this. Hey, how you doing? I'll be kind and cordial. I'll greet you, but you're going to stay right there. And then you wonder, not only do you do that with people around you, can I tell you where it ends up spilling over? It's in your marriage too. Because you're nervous and scared if I'm vulnerable and I open up about those things, I'm going to get hurt again. I'm not telling you anything that Wendy may not have said before in different settings. And so early on in marriage, we'll navigate with, with couples going through marriage counseling, premarital counseling. And she'll say this phrase all the time. She'll say, Chris paid for a lot of things that he did not do. Things that she experienced or she saw her mom experience. And so there was something, she lived like this with me at a certain level in certain areas. But it wasn't until she pursued a level of commitment with the Lord and with me that she dove into that and she started to grow past that. That's going to hinder your ability to experience spiritual family. Because then it hinders the last one. It's this. When challenge comes, you lean in instead of stepping back. See, because we're hurt, what we do is we step back. We're not going to lean in. Like, I, I, be vulnerable? Yeah, you're right. Got hurt before, less of that. So, so what happens is rather than leaning in, we step back. Which then leads to the third one. Here's the third question. I think if we're going to overcome loneliness, here's the third thing we have to ask ourselves. What does spiritual family produce? Like, what, what's it do? Like, like tell me what we're going to do. That's what we all want to know. Like, is this worth actually doing? 
Like, should I do this? Well, here's what it produces. You see, it's important for us to know this, and, and here's why. Because spiritual family produces sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Because watching content in a, with a group of people doesn't produce sons and daughters. Taking time to invest. I heard of a story this past week, Pastor Jeff was sharing, and actually Wendy and I had an opportunity to, to kind of have dialogue about this as well. But there was a leader that was at our Battle of the Sexes retreat that we do for our high school and middle school students. And that leader was there, and they had two different settings. They had a guy's session and a girl's session, and there were these moments where they're affirming the students, speaking life over them, encouraging them. And here's the thing is that leader was just weeping and crying because she's like, I felt like they're my own kids. And there was a moment where she even had a moment with our own daughter, just loving on her, praying over her. Why? Because that's what happens in spiritual family. In spiritual family, what you begin to experience is going, look, I want for your kid what I want for my own kid. I'm going to love on your kid the way I would love on my own kid. I'm going to give up my weekends. In fact, we had some that are in here today. They were in the first service as well. They gave up their weekend to go and be small group leaders and invest and pour into. I saw it was interesting because I saw a picture even during the high school session. One lady took a picture and she's taking care of uh, uh, one lady's little girl. So that woman could be a small group leader leader for her daughter's small group. And she wrote on there, my baby, I've been taking care of her baby so she can take care of my baby. Why? Because that's what you do in spiritual family. It's about investing and developing because what happens is, guess what? Those young people grow up and they start walking in the fullness of who God's called them to be and operating in their gifts. That's what happens. You see sons and daughters come out of spiritual family. Can I tell you, that ain't fast. It takes intentional development and it takes time. Not the consumption of content. That's not going to produce that. Spiritual family produces sons and daughters. But here's a couple of things that it also produces in the, ways God, in the way God uses spiritual family. Is God distributes resources through spiritual family. He distributes resources. Now, God can do whatever he wants to do. Right, God could do whatever He wanted to do. God can can He can Amazon it to you. He can airdrop it. It can fall out of heaven. Whatever it is, He could do whatever it was. But for whatever reason, He chose. When you look through God's Word, He always used people as a distribution model. He used others as a distribution model to get resources. What are the resources? Well, the resources aren't just. I'm not talking about money. Resources could be relationships, friendships. It could be people investing into your children, as I said, with bots. It could be helping you through a challenging situation. In fact, thinking about bots. I, heard the, I, I saw this story. There's a gentleman who shared this story on Facebook. And it was, so, it was, it was incredible. And it, you know, it's kind of one of those ones that just kind of make, turns you into mush when you read it. But it's an example of God using an individual... As a distribution model for resources. His daughter had just gotten back from Battle of the Sexes retreat. And he had a picture of her and she's on her knees worshiping. I mean, I mean, you, you just see your kid just worshiping, going after God. You're like, oh my God, you did it, God. Yeah. I mean, you're just mush. But what he shared in that post wasn't the picture. It was the text that he received from her because he was out of town. It was the text he received from her when she got home. And here's what she said to him. Okay, I just, that's my best, like, 11-year-old, like, little girl voice. So. Okay, I just wanted to say that I love you a lot, and this weekend, a lot. If you did not come into my life, 
I would not have got a, gotten a better relationship with God. And I just wanted to say thank you. I love you a lot. It's <laughs> not fair, man. It's just like, could God have impacted that little girl's life in any number of ways? Absolutely. You know what he chose? Her dad. And what I love about that story is many people who may know them would say, well, that's his stepdaughter. But that's not how he sees it. That's my daughter. That's my girl. And I love her. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to see her grow in her relationship with God. Why? Because what spiritual family produces is he uses it to get resources to you, to distribute resources. Here's another. Here's another thing. We discover God's purpose in our spiritual family. We begin to discover, God, you have something greater for me than just like attending and checking a box. There's a story of my friend Sean. I met Sean. We were working out. It was great about Sean is, uh, you know, we were working out, we're hanging out, spending time together, and I invited him to come to church. And he'll tell the story now. He'll tell the story that I invited him to church, and he's on, he's like second, third row, and he looks up. He tells the story now. He's like, man, Pastor Chris invited me to come to church. He never told me he was the pastor. All of a sudden, I see him get up, and he starts speaking. He's like, I had no clue. He's like, I just thought it was a guy I worked out with invited me to come to church. I didn't know he was the guy getting up there, like, to give the talk. I'm the guy, give him the talk. But can I tell you what Sean's done over the last year of intentional relationship and time together? He's taken next steps, been a part of small groups with men. He's like, man, I, this next year we're getting in. He's in a promises small group, taking steps. He's inviting friends to take those steps with him. God's doing something different. Why? Now he has a greater purpose than just simply what he was living for before. You see, we discover God's purpose in spiritual family. But here's a couple other phrases that really mark our church. I want you to, to see and hear, and, and I really want them for you personally. First is you find your people, you find your purpose. When you get around those relationships, you begin to find the purpose that he's tied you to. It's at a greater level. The second is this, your destiny is tied to those relationships. See, when you get in those relationships and your destiny is tied to that, you have a, a far more significant understanding of what God's called you to. I want to end with this neat story. I actually hadn't planned on it, but I saw this, this, this past week. Actually, on Friday night, I saw it. And I thought about Clinton Mindy Andrus. Now, I know Wendy and I have known Clinton Mindy for a long time, but, but Clinton Mindy were from Louisiana, and they moved to the great nation of Texas a couple years back. And they moved here because of relationship, divine relationships. So they move from everything they've ever known. They're born and raised Cajuns, all right? And they move from everything they've ever known, they move to Texas. They come in and they start meeting people as they're here at Milestone Church. And, and one of the couples, they met a lot of couples, but one of the couples they met was Gus and Carla. Some of you know Gus and Carla. And, and they started building a relationship. They started recognizing there's a divine relationship, a divine connection here. And they start spending time together, and they're going on vacations together, and they start building together and building a relationship. Two different backgrounds, two different upbringings, two different experiences. But through the course of the last couple of years, they've experienced transitioning jobs. They've transitioned moving homes. They've experienced one family having children, you know, addition of children. They've experienced ups and downs. And here's what's amazing. During Promises, they're doing a small group together out in Little Elm, Aubrey area. And this was a picture that I saw on Friday night. There's like 20 
24 adults there. There's equally as many children. I mean, they got them everywhere. They got them upstairs. They got them in the garage. There may be some around the, I don't know, the neighborhood. They just kind of lost track of. Who knows? But everyone made it back safe. And it happened to be Gus's birthday, so they're also celebrating Gus's birthday. And I texted Gus. I said, happy birthday, man. God love you. It's the best year. You know what his response was? He said, I loved it. No better way than celebrating with spiritual family at small group. <laughs> now you say, what, why do I... Why are you telling me that, Pastor Chris? Because this is what divine relationships look like. This is what begins to happen. You come from two different backgrounds. You have two different life experiences. But all of a sudden, you recognize there's something greater than, I'm going to attend church. I'm going to gather some information. I'm going to hear a couple of songs. No, no, no. God's calling me to spiritual family. Because when I experience that, I experience the impact in my marriage and my family and my children. I discover a greater level of purpose. I experience God's resources being distributed to me through others. And it transforms the way you live your life and it transforms the way you build.